If your happy ending is no more joint pain, please try Sierra Sil with a money-back guarantee. It's all-natural joint pain relief that's changed our lives. Sierra, like the mountains, and Sil, like silicon. Go to sierrasil.com. Use the code DRIFT for 10% off. Hello, I'm Erin, and welcome to Drift. Have you ever heard of the author T.S. Arthur? Not T.S. Eliot, but T.S. Arthur. I'll confess I hadn't, at least not before tailoring this story for you. So let me introduce you briefly. Timothy Shea Arthur was a prolific 19th century American author and publisher of some 75 stories, many of them having to do with the evils of alcohol. Don't worry, I've had my way with his words here and you'll get no lectures from me. Just a nice, gentle story to usher you off to sleep. Made possible by Envy Pillow. Created by Kathy and Kim, Canadian registered nurses who have partnered here with me. I've rested my weary head on an Envy Pillow for mm, about 20 years now. It started because of stress-related neck pain, and I've been in love ever since. Learn more in the morning at Envy. E-N-V-Y. Pillow.com. Before we enjoy An Angel in Disguise, first published in 1851, let's take a minute or so to just get into the right headspace, or bedspace, or chair space, to hear a nice story of a child left in the most desperate of straits, who saves and is saved by the connection of compassion and love. First, I'd like for you to take a deep breath Inhaling and concentrating on the breath. And exhaling. And now I'm going to ask you to continue to take deep breaths, holding for a short time and exhaling while relaxing with me. Let your body feel heavy in your bed and just give it all a rest. Letting go of the tightness that we often hold without even realizing we're doing so. First, we'll start down at your feet, then move up a bit to your calves, your thighs, your hips, and your backside, your belly, your chest, and shoulders. And now, your arms and hands. Let them all rest heavily and completely relaxed. Good. Now, your neck, which holds so much tension along with those shoulders of yours. Your jaw, let it just be limp. Your lips should be loose, slightly open if you want, while your eyelids are closed. Your eyebrows and forehead should be resting too. And with one more deep inhale, And exhale. Let your head sink into your pillow. And if you're ready, let's drift. The end had come quickly for the tired, overworked mother. And as she lay at home in a sleep that would never end, she was surrounded by her frightened and grief-stricken children. Death touches the spring of our common humanity. 
This woman had been despised, scoffed at, and angrily denounced by nearly every person in the village. But now, as word of her passing spread among the people who knew her, there seemed among them a change of heart. Pity took the place of anger, and sorrow replaced blame and name-calling. Neighbors went quickly to the ramshackle hut, which contained few belongings. It was little more than a place of shelter from the ravages of the seasons, a home that she made on her own after the death of her husband, just a year after the birth of her third and last child. Some of her neighbors brought an outfit in which she could be laid to rest. Others brought food for the children, who were half-starved. At twelve years of age, John was the oldest. He was a wiry lad who would be able to earn his living with any farmer. Kate, between ten and eleven, was a bright and active girl, and it was said that she could turn out all right with the proper guidance. But the youngest, poor little Maggie, was ill almost beyond help. You see, a few years earlier, she had fallen from a window and injured her spine, leaving her unable to get out of her bed, except when lifted in the arms of her mother or her brother. The main question murmured among those who had gathered was what was to be done with the children who must not be left to starve. After considering the matter and talking it over with his wife, Farmer Jones said that he would take John and treat him well for his work. Meantime, Mrs. Ellis, who had been looking out for a girl to help around the house and farm, said that it would only be right to take Katie with her, even though she was too young to be of much use for several years. But no one stepped forth to take Maggie. The troubled villagers looked upon the withered and wasting young girl. Mothers brought dresses and nightgowns and dressed her in clean attire. And while the child's sad eyes and patient face touched many hearts, not enough that anyone would volunteer to take in this bedridden child. Said one man, take her to the poorhouse. It seems nobody's going to be bothered with her. To which someone else responded quite correctly, the poorhouse is a sad place for a sick and helpless child. Ah, retorted another neighbor. It might be harsh for your child or for mine, but for this child, almost anything would be an improvement. She'll be clean, she'll be fed good food, and there will be a doctor to look after her, which will be a welcome change for her. Well, that actually made sense, but it still didn't sit well with everyone. The next day, after the mother was laid to rest, the children were escorted back to their hovel and it was there that they were dispersed. Farmer Jones, who felt he had done his part and then some, guided John up next to him on the driver's bench of his cart, and with a wave to the assembled neighbors, off they went to the Jones farm up the road. Mrs. Ellis spoke to Kate, say goodbye to your sister, and before the two girls could barely embrace, a sobbing Katie was taken by the arm and led away to her new life in the Ellis home. The other townsfolk left quickly, some glancing at Maggie, others not even looking back at her. 
Then everyone was gone, and the poor child was all alone. Just beyond the threshold of the house, Joe Thompson, who made wheels for carts, paused and said to the blacksmith's wife, who was hurrying off with the others, It's a cruel thing to leave her so. The woman scoffed. <laughs> then take her to the poorhouse. She'll have to go there, and turned to depart quickly and without a second thought, leaving Wheelwright Joe behind. For a short time, Joe stood there and pulled at his beard, deep in thought. Then he turned back and went into the hovel again. Dear Maggie, with a great deal of pain and effort, had raised herself to an upright position and was sitting on the bed, squinting at the door through which everyone but Joe had just left. An air of fear overtook her and showed plainly on her thin, white face. Oh, Mr. Thompson, she cried out with a catch in her labored breath. Don't leave me here all alone. Although he was rough on the outside, Joe Thompson had a heart that was warm and very tender in some places. For although he and his wife had none, he liked children and was always happy when they came into his shop where he would make or mend sleds and wagons for the village lads free of charge. No, dear, he answered in a kind voice, going to the bed and stooping down over the child. You won't be left here alone. Then he wrapped her with the gentleness his own mother had shown him as a child in the clean sheets which some neighbor had brought. Easily lifting her in his strong arms, he carried her out into the air and across the field that lay between the cottage and his home. Joe Thompson's wife was not a gentle or soft-hearted woman, and you could never expect her to sacrifice for others. Joe was wise to anticipate a less than warm welcome when he came home with little Maggie. Mrs. Thompson saw him approaching from the window, headed out the front door in the beginnings of a huff as her husband opened the garden gate and came in. He carried this precious burden close to his heart, and there was an aura of love that emanated from him to her. It would seem that without an ounce of effort or forethought, she had already had him wrapped around her little finger. He felt deep fondness starting to stir in his heart. What have you there? asked Mrs. Thompson, her voice sharp as a paring knife. Joe felt the child jump and shrink against him. He didn't say a word in response. He only looked at his wife in a way that was both pleading and cautionary, a look that seemed to say, wait a moment for explanations, and be gentle. Passing his wife on the front step, he carried Maggie to a small room on the first floor and laid her on a bed. Then, quietly stepping back, he shut the door and stood face to face with his sour-tempered wife, who was standing in the hall, blocking his way. Her face red in anger, she wasted no time or words. You haven't brought home that sick brat. When Joe Thompson replied, 
It came as a bit of a surprise to both of them. Usually when she was angry, Joe would either get out of her road or would stay quiet and avoid a confrontation. But this time was different. He looked her square in her anger-filled eyes and said, I think women's hearts are sometimes very hard. His voice was firm and resolute. Women's hearts are not half as hard as men's, she retorted. But Joe could tell that his wife was taken aback by his firmness, and he did not step down. You say that, but every woman at the funeral turned her eyes steadily from the sick child's face and then later left her alone in that old hut as darkness was about to descend. Where were her brother and sister? demanded Mrs. Thompson. Farmer Jones took John in his wagon, and Katie went home with Mrs. Ellis. But nobody wanted the poor sick one. All anyone would say was, send her to the poorhouse. Well, you should have listened to them, she cried. Why on earth did you bring her here? What did you expect, for her to suddenly walk again and head off to the poorhouse on her own? Asked Joe. Somebody had to carry her, and my arms are strong enough for that task. Well, then why didn't you just keep going to the poorhouse? Why did you bring her here to our place? Demanded the wife. Because that's not how it works. The guardians of the poor must first be consulted, and we would then have to obtain a permit before she is accepted there. Well, about this, even Mrs. Thompson could find nothing to argue. When will you see the guardians? She asked with utter impatience. Tomorrow. Why wait until then? Go right now for the permit and get this business over and done with tonight. Do you hear? Jane, said the wheelwright, with a firmness that both surprised and subdued his angry spouse. I read the Bible sometimes and find much said about little children and how whosoever gave them even a cup of water should not go unrewarded. Now, it is a small thing for us to keep this poor motherless child for one night, to be kind to her for one night, to make her life comfortable for one night. The voice of the rough man shook, and he turned his head away so that his wife would not see the tears welling up in his eyes. Mrs. Thompson did not answer, but an unfamiliar feeling of softness crept into her heart. Look at her with kindness, Jane. Speak to her with kindness. Think of her dead mother and the loneliness, the pain, the sorrow that must be on her all her coming life. The love growing in his heart had suddenly lent eloquence to his words. Mrs. Thompson did not reply. After a minute, she turned towards the little bedroom where her husband had deposited Maggie, and pushing open the door, went quietly inside. But Joe did not follow her. He saw that something within her had shifted. So, he thought it might be best to leave her alone with Maggie. He went to his shop, which stood near the house, and worked until the last of the daylight had evaporated. As he took off his leather apron, he started back towards the house and noticed a light shining through the tiny bedroom windows. Hmm, 
he thought it was a good omen. As he neared the house, he paused to look in. Jane couldn't see him standing there as he observed Maggie, lying on her bed, her sweet little face raised on the soft pillow, with the lamp shining fully upon it. Mrs. Thompson was sitting by the bed, talking to the child, but with her back towards the window, it was impossible for her husband to see what expression she made, or what mood she might have been in. And so it was, from Maggie's face, that Joe was left to infer the nature of their interaction, and what he saw warmed his heart. He noticed that the child's eyes were intensely fixed upon his wife, that now and then, a few words came, as if in answers, from her lips. He could also see that her expression was sad and tender, but he saw nothing of bitterness or pain. A deep-drawn breath was followed by one of relief as a weight lifted from his chest. When he walked into the house, having quietly untied his work boots and left them outside the door, Joe did not go straight to the girl's tiny bedroom. Instead, he went to the kitchen, where the closing of a cupboard door alerted Jane to his return. She hurried to the kitchen from where she'd been sitting at Maggie's bedside. Rather than express any concern or bring up the topic of the child, Joe asked how soon supper would be ready. Right away, answered Mrs. Thompson, beginning to move quickly to heat the stew she had prepared earlier in the day. Remarkably, thought Joe, there was no harshness in her voice. After washing his face to clean off the grime of the day and of his work, Joe walked from the kitchen to the little bedroom. There he was greeted by a pair of large, bright eyes looking up at him from the soft, pillowy bed. She stared at him tenderly, gratefully, pleadingly. How his heart grew just looking at her. He could feel its beating quicken as he gazed upon her. Joe sat down in the old dark wooden chair next to the bed and for the first time really examined the girl's thin frame carefully under the lamplight. He could see that it was an attractive face she had and full of childish sweetness, despite the depths of the suffering she had endured in her brief life. Your name is Maggie, he said as he sat down and took her soft hand in his. Yes, sir. Her voice struck a chord that quivered in a low strain of music. Have you been sick for a long time? Yes, sir. What a sweet patience was in her tone. Has the doctor been to see you? He used to come. But not lately? No, sir. Have you any pain? Sometimes, but not now. When did you have pain? This morning my side ached, and my back hurt when you carried me. Oh, it hurts you to be lifted or moved about? Yes, sir. Your side, it doesn't ache now? No, sir. Does it ache a great deal? Yes, sir. But it hasn't ached any since I've been on this soft bed. The soft bed feels good. Oh, yes, sir, so good. Great satisfaction mingled with gratitude rang in her voice. 
A short time later, Mrs. Thompson looked into the room. Supper is ready, she said softly, as the sweet smell of bread, fresh from the oven, wafted into the tiny space. Joe glanced from his wife's face back to that of Maggie and wondered. And before he could ask, Jane asserted, she can wait until we're done, then I will bring her something to eat. Try as she might to carry off an air of indifference, Joe had seen his wife and the child together through the window. He knew that this seeming lack of warmth or caring was little more than a facade, an act. He didn't argue with her, and they left the room to go and have their supper. As they silently ate, Joe waited for Jane to bring up the child in the next room, for it was Maggie who was, of course, foremost on both of their minds. He could wait no longer and was about to broach the thorny subject of the child's fate, when at last she piped up. What are you going to do with that child? Didn't we agree that she is to go to the poorhouse? Asked Joe, as if surprised at her question. Mrs. Thompson looked rather strangely at her husband for a few moments, and then fixed her gaze back down on her plate. The question of what was to become of Maggie, and when, was not raised again during the course of the meal. When they were done and her husband had pushed back his chair and prepared to retire to the sitting room to enjoy his pipe, his gentle nightly ritual, Mrs. Thompson toasted a slice of bread and then buttered it and soaked it in a bit of milk to soften the crust. She poured the girl a cup of tea with liberal amounts of milk added to cool it for her and took the food and drink on a small tray to the child's room. Maggie ate the meal with a great deal of pleasure. Oh, is it good? asked Mrs. Thompson, seeing how much enjoyment the child had shown as the bread and tea were quickly disappearing. The little girl paused as she raised the cup to her lips and simply responded with a look of gratitude that sparked to life feelings in Jane's heart that had been hibernating for over a decade. After the girl had said her prayers and nodded off to sleep, and just before Mrs. Thompson joined her husband in slumber that night, she blew out the little girl's lamp with the smallest smile resting on her face. At breakfast time the next morning, Joe reminded his wife that he must go into town and talk to the guardians of the poor about getting Maggie admitted to the poorhouse. At this, she cleared her throat and made a pronouncement. <clears throat> We're going to keep her a day or two longer. She is so weak and helpless. But she'll be so much in your way, said Joe. Oh, I won't mind that for a day or two, said Jane. Poor thing. Well, as it turns out, and you've probably guessed by now, Joe Thompson did not go to visit the guardians of the poor that day. As a matter of fact, he didn't go the day after or the day after that on Maggie's account, because it didn't even take a week for Mrs. Thompson to have such a change of heart from her initial reaction to the child's arrival that she herself would have volunteered to go to the poorhouse in Maggie's place if ever such a choice was to be made. What a blessing that sick and helpless child brought to the home of Joe Thompson 
the humble wheelwright. It had been dark and cold, its walls dank with misery for such a long time, only because he and his wife had nothing to love and care for besides themselves. Now the sweetness of that sick child, who looked to them both in love, patience, and gratitude, was like honey to their chilled souls, and they carried her in their hearts as well as in their arms as a precious responsibility. For when everyone else had turned their backs on her, an angel had come into their house, disguised as a sick, helpless, and miserable child, and filled all its dreary rooms with the soft glow, the warming sunshine of love. And that, my friend, is where I shall leave you tonight, grateful for a bed, a place to rest your head, a warm heart, and a good sleep. Oh, I hope so. Now drift off and sweet dreams. <laughs>